The unsurpassed, deep, profound, subtle, wonderful Dharma in a hundred thousand million eons is difficult to encounter. Now that I've come to receive and hold it within my sight and hearing, I vow to fathom the thus come one's true and actual meaning. Good evening, Venerable Master, Dharma friends. Um, <clears throat> we're going to continue tonight our lectures on the Flower Adornment Sutras 10 Practices chapter. And please turn, if you will, to the front of your text. We're going to chant the name of the sutra and the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas to invoke spiritual presence. Namo Please turn to page 84 and 85 in your sutra text. 
And on that page, we're going to start with the next to last paragraph. The Chinese is and English is with compassion and wisdom as their foundation. Okay, we ready? Bei 发慈最圣心 Okay, with compassion and wisdom as their foundation and expedient skill they interact with beings with pure thoughts of faith and understanding they have the thus come ones limitless powers Unobstructed wisdom can appear as they awaken by themselves, not relying on others, identical with thus come ones. They bring forth this thought most sublime. Okay, let's try the chanting with the Chinese first. Here we go. Compassion and wisdom as their foundation. With compassion and wisdom as their foundation. And expedient skill they interact with beings. And expedient skill they interact with beings. With pure thoughts of faith and understanding. With pure thoughts of faith and understanding. They have the thus come ones limitless powers. They have the thus come ones limitless powers. 
Unobstructed wisdom can appear. Unobstructed wisdom can appear. As they awaken by themselves, not relying on others. As they awaken by themselves, not relying on others. Identical with us come ones. Identical with us come ones, they bring forth this thought most sublime. They bring forth this thought most sublime. All right, this is the uh, ten practices, the ten grounds chapter, correct? And we're in the verse section, which repeats the content that came when we first opened the text because this is the first of the verses. We've just been on the verses for a short time. The speaker is the Buddha, no mistake, but he himself is not speaking. The Buddha is speaking through the voice of a bodhisattva named Vajra Treasury. And he's talking about Bodhisattvas. He's telling us about what bodhisattvas are like. And if you've ever asked yourself, what's a bodhisattva like? Well, this is the place to find the answer. The uh, Avatamsaka Sutra explains the bodhisattva path most thoroughly of all the Buddha's sutras. And this is the chapter in that sutra, in, all, in that Avatamsaka Sutra, that talks about the bodhisattvas from beginning, middle to end. Ten grounds, ten stages, it's called. Sanskrit calls it. Dashabhumi, ten stages. So what is a bodhisattva like? Well, that's what we're trying to figure out. And these verses were sung, I think, early, or at least chanted, so that people could remember them. And that's what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is we introduce them. We're trying to give a musical setting for them. So uh, kind of both sides of the brain light up at once, you might say. Now, uh, tonight is a little different from ordinary because uh, tomorrow is Chinese New Year's, Lunar New Year's. It's also Vietnamese Lunar New Year. And most of Asia celebrates the, the end of the year of the ox and the beginning of the year of the tiger starting tomorrow. So because of that, we're going to have a, a, an unusual number of people here tomorrow and in order to get everything set up we're going to stop tonight at 9 o'clock instead of 9.30 as we usually do because we have still have stuff to move around and still haven't cleaned everything up and uh, everything's got to be spick and span before before the new day begins so uh, we're going to uh, end about 9 o'clock so that's our plan Um, let's look now Oh, uh, more on what's different about tonight is New Year's is new to me. Lunar New Year's. I know solar New Year's, right? December 31st, January 1st. I know that one. But Lunar New Year's is is a custom known to half the world, but not the half that I grew up in. So I'm still learning about it. 
And it's a time of real happiness, is what I'm learning. People are really happy at New Year's. There's a joy that kind of has been building up throughout the rest of the year and for the next 10 days of the Lunar New Year. People are really happy. There's big, big energy released during this, this celebration coming up. So I thought to honor that, um, we should have some fun tonight as well. Um, part of it is the homework that I gave you last week. And how can homework be fun? Uh, well, in this case, homework is fun because the, uh, the assignment that I gave you had to do with our verse from last week which was about supreme merit and virtue. Bodhisattva says to sum up everything about these bodhisattvas, what they do is they seek the Buddha's supreme merit and virtue. And I said, what is that? Check that out. See if you can figure out not only what is it in the sutra, but what is it in your life? Because for sure, for sure, we can say this absolutely for sure, is you should remember to turn your cell phone off before you come into the monastery. Like I did. I was good. I went click so I could see the red dot. Good idea. For sure, for sure, the word enlightenment comes up a few times in the sutra. The words merit and virtue come up all the time in these sutras. And here, this is a special kind. It's called sublime merit and virtue. The Chinese is sheng gongda. It's not only gongda, it's sheng gongda. Sublime is a special kind of gongda. So my question that I posed for homework was, what is gongda? Do we know? Because we say it all the time. What is merit and virtue? Is it one thing? Is it something called merit and virtue? Gongda. Or is it two things called merit and virtue? Do we know? Now, let's say, sure, sure, I know. I've heard this as long as I've been a Buddhist. Okay, well, my next question is, if you know what Gongda is, how is Gongda different from Fu Bao, Fu Qi, which is blessings? Because you hear about that all the time in Buddhism. Is it the same? Is it different? Well, okay, Suppose you know the answer to that one. Let me ask you, is Fu Bao the same thing as Fu Qi? Hmm. Blessings, retribution, or Fu Qi could be kind of happiness. How are they different? Hmm. Interesting. Not so simple, huh? And if we understand about Gong De, what about Dao De? Is Dao De the same as Gong De? Because they're used kind of in the same way. And sometimes, to make it even worse, sometimes we hear about Fu De, right? Fu and De, are they one thing or are they two things? So, this was what I wanted to point to. How come? Not just to play with words. That's fun sometimes, but kind of shallow. Why I brought this up is because when I came to Buddhism years ago, I thought everything was about getting enlightened. Basically, if you weren't going to get something, what's the point? Why work so hard if there was nothing to get? And that was the thing. That's what we wanted to get was this stuff called enlightenment. And I knew that I wanted it and I would kill to get it. Kill! Get it! 
score because I grew up in a in a goal-oriented society, also trained as a consumer and supposed to get stuff and you fight to get it and if you don't get the best one, you trade it in. You get the next newest one. That was what I knew as a, as a consumer. So I held that view for a long, long time. And uh, Master Xuanhua, who interpreted the Dharma for we Westerners early on, and uh, that was what he was about, was making clear what this was all about. He said, you Americans want to be number one in everything. He said, you want to be number one. Toilet paper wrappers say first in quality, first in protection. Right? Number one toilet paper, the very best. Everything is graded and you are goal-oriented. That's the modern world. Okay, he said, only when you give up number one and let others be number one will you start to approach what the Buddha was talking about. Start to approach. What was the Buddha talking about? The Buddha was talking about words like kunda, merit and virtue, Words like blessings, words like wisdom, words like compassion. No enlightenment to be found anywhere in that unless you go deeply, embody those qualities, then enlightenment happens by itself. So, one way or the other, Master Xuanhua was trying to swap out what I thought I wanted for the real good stuff. It's not that he wanted to keep the good stuff from us. He wanted me, us, this generation, all of us here tonight, people listening online, to get the real good stuff. To not chase after some pseudo goal of enlightenment, which sounds kind of like a product that you'd buy, and instead cultivate merit and virtue. So I'm going at length to say to us, that this is the real stuff. That's why it's happy. That's why I wanted to bring it up tonight. If we can understand what's the difference between gong de, and I'm using the Chinese, not the English, right? Because we haven't named it. Gong and de and fu. Then we're way closer to what the Buddha really taught. Okay? So, got that? All right. Here we are. Last week it said, to sum it up, they seek all Buddha's supreme merit and virtue. They bring forth a thought vast and great. Its measure equals the entirety of space. Tonight it says, with compassion and wisdom as their foundation, with expedient skill, they interact with beings. With pure thoughts of faith and understanding, they have the thus come ones, limitless powers. Unobstructed wisdom can appear as they awaken by themselves, not relying on others. Identical with us come ones, they bring forth this thought most sublime. So, of the words I mentioned, the only one missing here is blessings. Okay, we've got merit, virtue, compassion, wisdom, and a few more, such as skill, strength, things like that. Okay, now, let's unpack these two verses and then come back and do 
what I said we're going to do, which is talk about those those terms. It says, Bei Xian Hui, Wei Zhu, compassion foremost, wisdom as the foundation, as primary, as Zhu, as the boss, as in charge, compassion and wisdom as their basis, right? Fang Bian, Gong Xiang Ying, they interact with beings using expedient skill. Says that bodhisattvas are teachers. They teach expediently. They teach differently for everybody. I did uh, a comprehensive exam while in my program for for the doctorate and I investigated and compared a very interesting group of people called Tzadik. Tzadik is a category, it's a title of sometimes mystic people, sometimes saintly people in Orthodox Judaism. The Tzadik are people who resemble Bodhisattvas in a striking way. And I wrote about one whose name is the Baal Shem Tov, otherwise known as the Besht. And the Baal Shem Tov was a historical person who lived in Eastern Europe. I don't remember, I think it was Poland perhaps, or uh, might have been uh, White Russia. And Baal Shem Tov, the way he taught, is semi-legendary, but semi, but also historical at the same time. And he taught expediently. The interesting thing about the overlap between Zadik, this category of beings, and Bodhisattvas, is they're always in the street, working with real people. They're not up in an ivory tower. They're not often a mountain cave and inaccessible. They're just over there. And you knock on the door and here's how people approach the Baal Shem Tov. They would knock on the door with a wish. They would have a wish. And they would come with an offering, a pidin. And they would hand this offering. And often, sometimes these are poor people. It might even be a bag of milled grain. Or it might be candles or it might be uh, a pencil to write with. And they would hand over their pidyon, their, their offering. And according to the way it was recorded, the Baal Shem Tov would say, what is your wish? What is your wish? And then they would tell the story. Oh, I just want it now. And I want it now. And then the Baal Shem Tov would always go, <sighs> he would always sigh. He would go, <sighs> like that. And then he would dispense the wisdom and know exactly what to say. Exactly what to say. And somehow that sigh was really important to the process. They say that somehow in the sigh, 
the answer was given, if you could hear it. Of course, people just figured he was tired or upset or worried, and they would miss it. But in fact, with his expedient skill, he would, like that. And, now I know that's not my phone. That is my ringtone, but it's not my phone. So somebody may want it bite the bullet, be embarrassed, and turn it off, right? Okay, so the Bajim Tov would sigh like that. And then he would say, I think it's better if you stop gossiping. Like that. And, and often if it was the wife of the husband or the husband of the wife, they would go, but, but I'm, I'm not gossiping, I'm just... I'm just Telling the truth, I just thought that, but better you should stop gossiping, Baal Shem Tov would say. And then the other spouse would look and say, see, I told you that's what he was going to say. And when it came out of his mouth, it was different. It was true and you couldn't avoid it. And then often he would say, now what's the real story? And the person would cry and oh, I just couldn't help what I had to be because you don't understand blah, blah, blah. and he would say, Okay, you know, it's better that you stop gossiping. Besides, you know, uh, I think if you go home you might discover things are gonna look better. Starting tomorrow. Oh, thank you so much, thank you. And they would go home and feel like they've been given a huge gift when all he had to do was just say the obvious. And somehow from his mouth, because he had this virtue, they would hear the truth and get more than they knew they were getting. And the Baal Shem Tov, then what he would do, then the rich man would come in. And the rich man would, you know, be a little haughty and he would, his pidyon, instead of being, you know, a bag of grain, he would plop down some gold. And sit there and Baal Shem Tov would say, you know, and what is your wish? And he would say, well, I actually have come to find out uh, how to reclaim my good name. Oh, he would say, sigh and, and then tell me what happened. He would say, well, I've been slandered. I've been slandered vigorously because I did a business deal and uh, someone said that I tried to uh, get up too much of a profit, uh, too much interest, and besides, they're just mean. And the Baal Shem Tov would say, okay, so someone slandered you? Slander, is that right? Yes, they've slandered me. I'd say, well, uh, did you say anything? mean about them? Well, uh, not so, not for many people, maybe a little, he would say. All right. And the Baal Shem Tov would say, I have a job for you. If you would like to reclaim your good name, I would give you this job. I can make it all better, but here's what you have to do, he would say. Take a pillow. Do you have a feather pillow at home? Of course, I have closets full of feather pillows. Take one feather pillow and rip it open and walk around the city until all the feathers are scattered out. Well, that's ridiculous. 
Why would I do that? That's not all. After you scatter all the feathers, I want you to pick them all back up, every single one, and put them back into the pillowcase. If you can do that, I will reclaim your good name. No one will say a word about you or slander you again. And the rich man goes, But that's impossible. The feathers are all over town. The wind is scattering them to the four winds. I can't put them all back in one pillowcase. And the Basham Tov said, And once you talk ill with a mean heart of other people, your good name is equally hard to reclaim as putting all the feathers back in the pillowcase. Now do you understand why you have to stop slandering and speaking mean of other people? It's just your reputation. And the wise man just, still, the rich man just puffs down, or loses all his chi like an air going out of a balloon. He realizes that indeed, it's like Shakespeare said, if you steal my purse, you steal trash. If you steal my reputation, you have truly injured me. So the rich man, in fact, was slandering the people that he was afraid of would find out that he'd been cheating or charging too much interest and as a result, got slandered himself. Hard to get the reputation back. So my point is, in these stories, the Baal Shem Tov would teach every person differently. To the poor person, he would take the little mite and give them real wisdom. The rich man, he would give him a job that the man would never do, teaching everyone equally. So, the Baal Shem Tov was a bodhisattva who taught expediently, right? What does it say? With compassion and wisdom as their foundation and expedient skill, they interact with beings. Now, how did I see this at Gold Mountain Monastery? I remember in one day, There was a little girl, daughter of two lay people at Gold Mountain. And she was, she had been born, uh, first of all, the couple was married by Master Shrinhua. And then she came along a year later. And she was took refuge when she was probably six months old. As soon as she could come to the monastery, she took refuge. Her name was Kofang. And uh, she was everybody's apple of everybody's eye. She was really cute. And when she was four, her parents were bowing and she was playing around in the back. And the... Uh, Nobody saw her for a moment. She was gone. And then the husband, the dad, got up from his bowing and went into the kitchen to look for his little girl. And we heard this big noise, this screaming. And he came running, running out, holding four-year-old Guofang in his arms. Her face was completely blue. And she, he, he put her down in front of Sherfo and said, Ah! fix it fix it he said what she had swallowed something and she was choking and didn't have long and 
Master Hua was sitting right back there and he, for a man of 60 some years old, he moved very quickly and he got Guo Fang in his arms and he said to everybody in this general's command, he said, recite the great compassion mantra now. Everybody's going, namo hula dano namo eyes like this. And Shifu had a little girl facing out and he had his hands on her shoulders and he was reciting. You see him concentrate and he went behind her back and went like that. And she went and out comes this hard candy on the floor. And she's and everyone is oh, namo guan shi you know. And the parents are crying, you know, and he, she's fine. It's a huge scare. But Master Hua used the Great Compassion Mantra to give everybody a hand in the saving of the situation and the healing of the little girl. And this all happened so fast. It was done in 45 seconds. It was all over from the dad running in and putting his daughter down to her face blue to pink cheeks and smiling and laughing and then she said Sherfu, can I have a candy? She said <laughs> and so we're kind of just our hearts are still beating when in through the door comes this Confucian scholar this was uh, an elder scholar who lived in Chinatown and he occasionally would get over to Gold Mountain Monastery to uh, pay his respects and in he came and this is a dignified old gentleman who uh, had been in China and then made his way to Hong Kong and then into Chinatown, San Francisco. And he was, you know, definitely stiff and stodgy, but he had this light in his eye because he was the real thing. He was a real scholar. And Shifu saw him and stood up. And I won't say that he skipped, but he looked like he kind of skipped over grabbed the scholar by the hand and pulled him down, sat down on the bench, the Chan bench with him, and started reciting from the great learning, the Da Xiao, and just recited in the sing-song voice. And the old scholar, hearing this, the, the Da Xiao in the old tones, Da Xiao Zai De, Zai Ming Ming De, Zai Xin, Zai Qin Min, Zai Zhi Shan, he started chanting along. And the two of them were reciting the Analects of Confucius just for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes without a break, pacing each other, laughing. They turned into 12-year-old schoolboys in front of all of us. And we're just, who could memorize 10 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour of the four books without a break? And the two of them were you know, going on and just loving going back to their childhood when they'd memorized the Confucian classics. And we're seeing this little girl who was, you know, half an hour ago at the brink of death. She's playing over there in the corner. And here's Master Hua chanting away the Confucian Analects with the scholar. And just another day at Gold Mountain Monastery, Shifu bringing in living beings expediently. So it says, with compassion and wisdom is their foundation and expedient skill they interact with beings. With pure thoughts of faith and understanding, they have the thus come ones, limitless powers. Um, 
two weeks ago we had the list of the ten powers, right? The Bodhisattva's ten wisdom powers. And those are indeed the things that, that uh, a Bodhisattva can use in order to teach. He knows exactly or she knows exactly how much and when and in what language and with how much theory, how much practice, how much abstraction, how much concrete to add so that everybody gets exactly what they can hear in order to understand the Dharma. So that's expedient skill. Watching Master Xuan Hua uh, teach living beings, I think it was a whole bunch like watching the Bao Shem Tov uh, teach anybody who walked in the door exactly what they needed to understand how to take the next step down the spiritual path. Okay, unobstructed wisdom can appear as they awaken by themselves, not relying on others. Identical with thus come ones, they bring forth this thought most sublime. First of all, the thought most sublime that they bring forth is called the Bodhi Resolve, the thought for awakening. This is the thought most sublime that they bring up. And mm, you can't overestimate the importance of this concept this practice, this notion of there being one thought that is more powerful, more important than other thoughts. And that thought is called in Sanskrit the bodhicitta. Uh, the Chinese is called putihin. In English, we're calling it things like the bodhi resolve, the thought for enlightenment, the wish for awakening. It's just a thought, but once you actually make this Bodhi resolve, once this thought occurs, it's a watershed. Things are different before, things are different after. You have this thought in your mind. And the thought, to sum it up, is a thought of our potential as humans. Your mind says, or your mind envisions, realizes, they use the verb fa to emit, to bring up, to, to evoke this realization that our potential is for total understanding. The word that we have in English is omniscience. Omniscience is omniscience, right? It means complete knowledge. But it's more than that. That's this omniscience such as your mind is able to function like Wikipedia and Google combined. Your mind is a search engine for all knowledge that ever was. That's half of it. The other half is, they say, tong ti da bei, great compassion, where you realize that you are the same as all creatures, no different. That you're the same earth, air, fire, and water in your bodies as whales, mosquitoes, everyone throughout history who's ever been born of mom and dad, everybody in the future, you are the same in body. Furthermore, you're the same in spirit. How do you want to call it? That's where they say the God has millions, infinite names, or you could say it's the name that can't be named. The, in Hebrew, it was Yod He Vav He Yahweh. You can't really say it, but you can spell it. So we would call it the Buddha nature. 
That's the inside part. That is the same. Tong ti. Same body. Great compassion. When you see that, you say, what's different between me and you and my grandpa and his grandpa and their grandpa? Well, one thing is different is what? Our behavior. Our karma. Karma just means deeds. That's different. But the substance is identical. Two parts to the Bodhi resolve this thought. One is, I can wake up. I can maximize my potential for omniscience. I can know everything. My mind, right this minute, is completely in touch with every other mind on the planet. No fences. No limits. At the same time, the way I get to that awakening, to that understanding, is by what they say, crossing over living beings. In using expedient skill, like the Baal Shem Tov, like Master Shrinhua, to bring people to this place of wisdom, faith, understanding, practice, and realization. That's it. So the code language, the jargon language, we say, Shang Cheng Fu Dao, Xia Hua Zhong Sheng. The Bodhi resolve is above you accomplish the Buddha's way, and below you cross over living beings. They're related. You become a Buddha by crossing over living beings. Now, translate that code language. It means that in order to maximize your potential for wisdom, what do you do? It means you transform all the darkness in my mind. What is that darkness? Anger, selfishness, greed, anxiety, doubts, fears. That's all that stuff covers over. Those things are all called affliction, fanna. They cover over this light of our nature. Okay, so that's the thought most supreme. In this sutra, my goodness, there is page after page after page devoted to this bodhi resolve, this thought most sublime. Um, later on in the text, in a chapter called chapter 39, uh, entering the Dharma realm, Maitreya, our bodhisattva, whose birthday we celebrate tomorrow, he comes out and talks to a pilgrim whose name is Sudana, and he gives him 200 similes metaphors, analogies for the Bodhi Resolve. He says, the Bodhi Resolve is like Putishinja, Ru, Shama, 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 Shama. The Bodhi Resolve is like a bright, pure, full moon rising to cool off the earth. The Bodhi Resolve is like a shining sun here to illumine equally all darkness. The Bodhi Resolve is like a mouthful of cool water on a blazing hot day. The Bodhi Resolve is like mother's embrace to cure your, to chase your fear. Like that. It goes on. 200 of these. On and on and on. Describing what the Bodhi Resolve is. Page after page. Very important thing in our sutra is this wish most sublime. Okay? So, this thought most sublime. That's the Bodhi Resolve. You've heard me talk about it over and over again. And... Um, I myself am investigating the Bodhi Resolve with uh, 
with full attention. Okay, turn over please to page 86 and page 87. Um, the first paragraph talks about the Bodhi Resolve once again and we will continue on that spot next week. We'll continue there next week. All right. I promised I was going to talk about our homework from last week. And let's poke around with this just a little bit. Because for sure, for sure, this is the good stuff. Um, this is the things that make our lives happy or unhappy. What is it? Blessings. Let's start with that one. Blessings is pretty clear. It's not complex. Blessings are clear if you think of a bank account. Most of us have one. I don't. For what that's worth. A bank account. You got money. What do you do? You... What's the word? You, what do you, I even don't have the word. You, not in, invest it, you deposit. deposit. Thank you. You deposit the money in your bank account. You put it in there. Hand it over to the teller. She goes, doo, 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 doo. and invisibly, you're richer by that much. You've got that much money in your bank account. When the time comes, you need that money for something, you got that. You got buying power. You're rich. When it's all gone, you're no longer rich. It's empty. Blessings work the same way. If you say blessings, you could say that blessings are money in the bank account of our lives. How does it work? When trouble comes, you get through it. Why? Because you got money in the bank account of life. Some people make it through disasters, right? Car spins off the road, flips over, and you walk away without a scratch. Why? Yo fu Yo fu qi. This person has, they say, the reward of blessings. Money in the bank of life. Somebody else, car flips, spins around, flips over. Bad news. Why? Because their bank account of blessings was empty of money. Okay, so we've used an analogy. We've talked about blessings in the bank of life. How do you, it's not really money, is it? But how do you, who is rich in blessings and who is poor in blessings? Somebody who, here's the word, plants blessings. How do you plant blessings? Well, I wanted to know theoretically I wanted to know what is this thing called Fu Qi, Fu Bao. So I asked Master Shen Hua, I said, Shifu, how do you plant blessings? And his answer came instantly. He said, Ling Qi Ta Ren Kai Le. Make other people happy. That sounded so easy, so simple. But when I thought about it, what does that mean? It means not making myself happy as my primary activity. In other words, selfless. 
behavior is planning blessings. Working for others is planning blessings. Service is planning blessings. Putting yourself last, or at least not first, is planning blessings. So that was deeper than I thought. That answer sounds so simple. Make other people happy is planning blessings. Every now and then we'd get a clue in other kinds of teachings that he, he had one, Master Hua had this favorite verse. He said, He said, If you can endure bitterness, can be translated as suffering, but it also means bitter, like bitter on the tongue. If you can endure suffering, you you put an end to your suffering. But here's the second half, the parallel. If you enjoy your blessings, you you wipe out your blessings. Literally, it's the same word that means to, to melt. Or you could say you spend. If you only enjoy your blessings, they go away. You don't have them. You spend them. So, not to worry, not to wrinkle up your brow. What does it mean to enjoy your blessings? Well, I think it means selfish behavior. Making yourself happy only. Having no thought for others' well-being. Right? Getting the best part for me first and the other part for nobody ever. That's xiaofu, xiangfu. And pretty soon those blessings go away. Okay, Mm, interesting. Here we're kind of focusing in on blessings. Blessings are, you get the fellowship that you apply for. Blessings are, the test comes back negative. Right? Doctor says, well, we didn't find any, whatever you were afraid of. Right? Did the test? Fine. Blessings are, Mom has a fall. You get the phone call. Mom fell. And guess what? She's fine. Bruised. A little scared. It's okay. Nothing broken. Nothing bigger, deeper. That's a blessing. You've got blessings. Okay? You go on the vacation. Come back only with photographs and memories. No, you weren't. You didn't lose your wallet. You didn't get your pocket picked. You didn't get sick and wind up in the hospital. You didn't lose your luggage. Why? You got blessings. When you have blessings, things work out. Without blessings, all that stuff happens. Now, it would be wrong hearing me say this for you to say every time something goes wrong, oh, I lost all my blessings. Right? Some people take this principle and run with it and use it to beat themselves up. Nah, I'm just some job and no blessings, you know. Sometimes when Shurfu would say a principle like this, people would do that. They would attach to that. And before the lecture was over, come down in front and just cry, my karmic obstacles are so heavy, Shurfu, I don't have any blessings. And everybody would look at the abbot and Master Hua and he would be... 
And he would say something like, okay, okay, calm down. You say that your karmic obstacles are really heavy. Bring them out and show me. Where are they? Show me. And the person would go, why is this karmic obstacle? I don't know where they are, Shurgo. He would say, right. You don't know where they are. Before I said it, you were fine. Once I said it, you think your karmic obstacles... Here's what you do. He would say, suppose your karmic obstacles are heavy as a mountain. Suppose your bank account of blessings is utterly empty. Zero. In fact, minus. What are you going to do? Pick yourself up. Cultivate blessings. Don't be so worried about yourself that that's all you can think about. Take the positive side of the principle go plant some blessings work for other people do some service right work in a food bank go read for the blind find whatever about you that's deficient and help other people there he would say something like that he would say just don't be paralyzed by some abstract concept of no blessings no or heavy karmic obstacles Just go do good. Be a better person. Be kind-hearted. Be unselfish. Work for others. Pretty soon, you'll turn it around. If you don't have any blessings, go plant some. Don't have any money in the bank, go deposit some. Go to work, he would say, and be happy. Right? So then he would usually, Sherpa was, when he gave these teachings, he was always just so kind. Then he would say something like, Mm, to the person whose heart is content, plant roots taste delicious. To the person whose heart is content, a pillow, the crook, a, a bent arm is a comfortable pillow. Right? To a person whose heart is content, a sip of water is the most delicious beverage. Right? And he would go on like this. And, okay, okay, sure, I get it. You know, He would calm people down and then bring them back to the fact that they were breathing, they were alive, they heard the Dharma, they had good friends, they could cultivate blessings and benefit others, pointing them to contentment and satisfaction with the basics as fundamental. Everything else is gravy. Everything else is dessert. Right? And for the people who could hear it, this would be a huge gift. A feeling of grounding, finding true principle. Go out and plant some blessings. Help other people. Your own heart gets happy. At the same time, invisibly, you are depositing in the bank account of humanity, in your own humanity bank account. Next time disasters arise, you're fine. You make it through. So, that's fu, fu bao is right there. Um, some people translate this word as happiness, um, but it's happiness as a result of having these blessings. Um, now, there's another quality that I want to point to in this word that 
takes it up a notch, which is if you have blessings, you can give blessings too. Not just the service or the helping others that creates blessings, but you can actually give the blessings themselves. Like, I'll give you a blessing. And that's a really, really wonderful, wholesome practice that we can do all the time. All the time. Which is using our minds to benefit others. Using our thoughts to help other people. You don't have to have, you don't have to know whether or not you've got a huge money bag bank account of life. How, how rich am I invisibly in blessings? I don't really know. You can kind of get a sense of it. People who have no blessings are always kind of, kind of haggard and their eyes move back and forth a lot and they always, around them you have a kind of uneasy feeling that they're looking for something. People who have those blessings are contented. There's a feeling of fullness. No matter whether they're wearing a ragged t-shirt and sandals, there's a feeling around them of zizai, of being where they belong, in charge of their lives. You can kind of read the blessings bank account just by looking at the person's energy. But, no matter what, what you can do, whether you have a lot or a little, is you can use your mind to bless. Say you're on a BART train. Well, here's a better example. I was uh, at the post office the other day to pick up a package. And there was this homeless fellow. Uh, he was number 29 and I was number 37. You know, you take the number in the post office and you wait. And he was a cheerful, jolly guy who was a little lonely. Because when you're homeless and dirty and unshaven and skin the color of this wood because you're out in the weather all the time, people don't want to sit down next to you. People want to look the other way. People don't want to talk to you. And this guy was clearly harmless and had a happy heart. He had a real sense of humor. He was talking, he was trying to chat up people and get a conversation going. And the only seat was right beside him. So I sat down and in my mind, I was reciting on his behalf. I was just thinking, I was reciting the Great Compassion Mantra, Guanyin Bodhisattva's mantra, and sending him good energy. And he looked right over and smiled and wanted to have a con we had the best conversation and he relaxed and he wanted to know about Buddhism and he wanted to know he said I was up uh, at Mount Shasta yeah saw in the store it was the strangest thing this woman walked in looked just like you bald head kind of weird looking you know she came in and everybody knew her and she was happy boy I just thought women women can do that too and I said yeah the nuns of Mount Shasta friends of mine you know them you know them too that's so much wonderful. That's just great. You all know each other. Oh, this world is so wonderful. You know. And sure enough, it was Reverend Mado from the Shasta Abbey, who I were friends. And it just made his day that the, the two Buddhists in the world that he'd ever met knew each other, right? And he was happy and it was the greatest time. And, and as a result, when it was his turn, his number was called, he went up to the window 
And everybody in the post office just went, relax. The ambient tension went down because he had broken the ice. He was happy and it was infectious, you know. And all I had to do was just use my mind to, to bless this happy man who was lonely. It's hard being out in the street. You don't have a family. You don't have a home. But he had broken through to where he was at home anywhere. What he didn't have was people not being afraid of him. So in my mind, I wanted to invest in his bank account of blessing. So I recited Guanyin Bodhisattva's Great Compassion Mantra, which is Jufu, blesses. And sure enough, he picked up on it in a flash because I wasn't pulling back. Now, mind you, having said that, there are some times when you want to pull back. Okay? Your wisdom has to decide. There are some people who, if you shine on them, they're maybe unstable. Maybe they're going to get too close. Sometimes that's true. So don't take what I've said as, Dharma Master, you told me I was supposed to smile at that homeless guy and he just wouldn't leave me alone for hours. Okay, you have to use your wisdom. Okay, he smelled and he was drunk. You know, well, if he's drunk and he smells, then you don't want to get close to him. This man was not that way. He was a happy heart who was also lonely. So, anyway, you can use your mind to bless. Invisibly, what you're doing, you're planning blessing. So, you don't have to have a lot of stuff to, to have blessings. In fact, you can create and plant blessings, making other people happy simply by sending blessings out. Use your mind like a broadcast tower. Think of a radio tower. It sends that signal out in all directions, right? It doesn't partially or limit the signal. And if you're sending out blessings by reciting a mantra or Guanyin's name or uh, whatever it might be, the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Whatever you're sending out, you can't send it out and also be afraid at the same time, right? You can't send it out and be worried at the same time. Send it out. Send out that goodness. And let your mind become a broadcast tower of blessings. Pretty soon, blessings come your way. It's really true. So that's number one. That's the fu qi. That's the fu bao, the first word of blessings. We haven't even gotten to gong de yet. But I said that um, I wanted to make tonight fun. Today is the day before Chinese New Year's, but it's also the night before Valentine's Day. Right? Tomorrow's Valentine's Day? Yeah. It's also President's Day, right? All that. So I think uh, what's unique about that is it's also the year of the tiger. It starts tomorrow. You all know about that, right? Is it the year of the tiger? Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I've been waiting 12 years for this. Mm, we're lucky tonight we have uh, someone who can interpret the value and the challenges of the year of the tiger 
I can tell you some secrets about the year of the tiger. Oh, really? Yeah. For example? Well, uh, one of the things about the year of the tiger is uh, you don't want to learn tiger's temper. <laughs> well, why is that? What's wrong with the tiger's temper? Well, we tigers get angry and then we, you know, we pounce. You know, we pounce a lot. And then after we pounce, we devour, we destroy. Yeah? What's wrong with that? After you devour, you get kind of lonely. There's nobody left, you know. So that's a problem. I see. So if you don't want to devour and destroy, then not getting angry is the first step. Yeah, you got it. Well, what's the secret? Well, there are techniques such as mm, if you catch your temper, you can distract it. What do you do? You can give it a muffin. Blueberry's good. Give it a cookie, chocolate chip. Banana bread's good. Give your anger some banana bread. You can distract it. And then when it's eating the banana bread, then it cools off and you kind of, you know, it's over. Oh, so the secret is give your temper something to distract it. You're pretty smart. Yeah, well, you're a good teacher. Well, that's true. Um, you could also uh, find a tree, climb up high and sit in the shade. That's nice. Climb up a tree when you get angry. Yeah, I do that a lot. Get some perspective. Makes your troubles look smaller, you know. Don't get angry so much. Oh, that's a good method. So you climb a tree. Yeah, yeah. Do that, okay. In general, you want to subdue your inner tiger. That's what you got to do. Subdue my inner tiger. Mm, give me some more methods. Well, one way is... Scratch right, right there. Oh, that one. Yeah. Oh. Ow. Oh. Yeah. Um. Little to the left. Oh, okay. Oh boy. I'm subdued already. Works really well. Yeah. Scratch. Yep. Scratch in the neck. Yep. Okay. And what else? Uh, you could eat less meat. You're kidding. No. Less meat. You. I'm a vegetarian, didn't you know? I was worried about my cholesterol. So, so uh, I sent my daughter to Princeton, you know, tigers, you know, and she wrote back and said, Dad, you've got to stop eating so much meat. So that way I can be filial because you'll live longer. Made sense. So uh, I started doing yoga, and uh, I'm good at the tiger pose. And that comes natural. So I do yoga, eat a lot of soybeans, and of course they don't taste like villagers. I prefer villagers, but I'll put up with it because it keeps my cholesterol down. And lots of antioxidants, drink green tea, you know, tiger shakes, stuff like that. Lots of protein. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that all helps getting rid of temper? Yeah. Yeah. Subdue your inner tiger if you don't eat so much meat. Yeah. Well, what else? Uh, well, uh, you know, uh, 
it's Valentine's Day tomorrow. Yeah? So what do you suggest? Um, I'm going to suggest that all of you send me Valentine's or invite me to your house on Valentine's Day and bake some banana bread and we'll practice yoga. I'll teach you the tiger pose and we can investigate ways to transform our temper, okay? Say, that sounds like fun. Uh, do you think people are going to invite a tiger to their house? Well, it's Valentine's Day, don't you know? I'm kind of lovable, so all of you send me a valentine and I'll bring the baking tin and the bananas and we can bake banana bread and do yoga. How about that? Happy Valentine's Day. Happy New Year. Year of the Tiger. Don't forget. Bye. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. He's got his Buddhist beads here. He's looking pretty spiffy. Okay, so that's the Year of the Tiger lesson. Uh, get in touch with your inner tiger via Pussycat. Okay, now um, what we haven't done is talk about, we're aiming to stop at 9 o'clock tonight. So um, we, uh, we have to transfer merit. So let's do that first. I think we'll first transfer the merit and then talk about what needs to be done for New Year's and then we'll uh, end at 9 o'clock. All right, so I'd like to invite everybody to make a wish how you would like your merit to go out to the world and then put your heart behind it. <laughs> 